What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Lieb. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod Pod Yourself Yourself a Gun. Gun. A Sopranos podcast where Vince Mancini and I go through every single episode of The Sopranos and talk Talk about about it. it. We're very excited for all of you joining us here on the world's only Sopranos podcast. We're the only one that exists. Um, just uh, your weekly reminder to give us five stars in a review. Gotten some really great new reviews, Vince. Really great ones. Mm. I won't read them to you because mm. you're looking at me like you're mad. <laughs> so I won't, I won't belabor end this process. End of the show. We could do it at the end of the show. Uh, yep. All right. Yeah. But, but fine. anyways. It's fine. I'm used to it. Thank you for the five stars and the reviews. You guys have been wonderful. All right, ladies and gentlemen. See, that was short. How about that? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, ladies and gentlemen and everyone else. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. Uh, you know her podcast because we have had her counterpart, Rachel Fisher, on a couple of times. And today, this is the first time we've had the other half of the Hollywood Crime Scene podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Desi Jedekin. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. I've been dying to get on the show. So I, I've heard <laughs> for, from Rachel that you are a Sopranos fan. Uh, that's correct. In fact, I got her to watch The Sopranos. She had not oh. seen it until a few years ago. So I was kind of like, why are you on? What? <laughs> <laughs> <Come on. laughs> yeah. That is unfair. Yeah, no. <laughs> the fact that you like incepted her into the Sopranos universe, it does mean that by merit alone, you should have been the first person from your podcast to come on. It's fine. It's fine. She had the yeah. more. She had more enthusiasm because she had just watched it, probably. The first yeah, time yeah. She she was very excited uh, to to be on the podcast, mostly because yeah, the Sopranos is uh, a good show, which uh, yeah. I think. I think we can all agree with when did you first uh, start watching the sopranos i actually the first time i saw it because i've watched the series a few times through uh was sort of at the end of the run i had to catch up and then yeah. when the final season or like part two of the final season was happening i had caught up and was sort of watching it week to week yeah which is sort of uh what i tend to do <laughs> like yeah up, and then i have to suffer 
week to week at some point. It's, it's so not worth it. It's like one of those things <laughs> I've, I've realized that uh, I will wait until a TV show has long since been spoiled for me before I decide to watch it. Yeah, I listened to last week's episode and I kind of agree. I can't remember who said it about spoilers. Like, I don't really give a fuck about spoilers. If the show's good, I'll watch it. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, Completely agree. I mean, if if it relies completely on surprise where, like, if, if if someone, if knowing the surprise ruins the whole show, like, that wasn't a good show. Because, like, what is one plot point reveal? Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. It doesn't, I mean, sure, it's great if it happens and I'm not (laughs) spoiled, but it doesn't really upset me that much. (laughs) I like an occasional surprise. Like, there are some things that do, I mean, the sixth sense, you know, that was a nice surprise for me. No, but then you go back, if you know it, like, it actually makes the movie, like, it adds a wrinkle to the movie of stuff that you didn't notice the first time. It doesn't ruin the movie. It adds, like, another dimension to it. I watch The Sopranos episodes, like, twice every time we do the show and uh the second time is usually not like it doesn't it doesn't feel like a chore to watch it twice i'll say that yeah yeah and knowing who's gonna die knowing who's gonna die and who's gonna live i mean it's kind of like i i don't know you kind of just assume everyone's gonna die that's just (laughs) it's a it's a mafia show why would you go around but i can't believe someone from the mafia got killed also, it's, it's like, still really stressful. Like, even when yeah. you knew it was going to die, like, when I watched it the second time through, I was still fucking stressed, even yeah. if I knew exactly what was happening, because it's a good show. Like, And I, it gives me the chance to be more emotional uh, about the uh, the death that I know is coming. Like, I rewatched um, Long-Term Parking, which right. is, uh, yeah, you know, that episode. Um, and... And knowing what was coming in the episode just made me enjoy it all the more uh, because, <laughs> you know, I got to enjoy some really good acting. Uh-huh. Well, I kind of hope that you're going to change it somehow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's that's there... me anyway. It's like maybe it's like abused child syndrome, but I'm always like, I can fix it this time. <laughs> <laughs> just rewatching it going, yeah. run, don't get in the car. Silvio's bad. Haven't you learned anything? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Like, come on. You haven't learned anything from the last time I watched this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I too, I agree with you completely. Uh, you know, spoilers are... Who cares about spoilers? Um, did you... Uh, what was your reaction then? Because I think we watched it the same way where I didn't start watching it. I watched it when it was on TV, but not to like season six or five or six. Yeah. Um, and I, because I think I was in college at the time... Uh, which is a euphemism for I was drunk. Yeah. Um, I uh, like had a very strong, angry reaction to the ending of The Sopranos. What was your What was your feeling? Well, here's like here's the thing. I didn't watch it when it aired. So oh. By the time I watched it, because I typically, well, I don't know why I didn't watch it, but for some reason I couldn't. So then I already had heard some of the reaction mm. before I saw it about I had I think I heard about people thinking their cable went out or something right. like that. Like mm-hmm. yes. I don't know that I heard there wasn't theories at that point. It was kind of like the cable thing was happening, I think mm-hmm. still. So I kind of went into it knowing that and I think it made me less angry because I was like, well I'm gonna be the one who's a calm adult here. <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah. You you, you lucked out people like you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm very big about like 
you know, like how I like the audience, you know, I'll if people talk about something a lot and they put it really highly up, I'll go into it with a very negative attitude. But Same. if everyone hates it, I'll go into it with like, I'm going to see what's really going on here. Like I, it's uh-huh. I'm very affected by that kind of like um, the talk or the water cooler talk. Um, right. Well, plus, right. Yeah. It's just enjoyable when the creator says, fuck you. You know, like when it's uh when it's art that says fuck you, I like to appreciate it because you know, I feel like most yeah. people need to be told that. Because you agree, because yeah. you're like, Yeah, fuck me. I am a pig. <laughs> exactly. We don't deserve this show. <laughs> right. Exactly. I don't deserve Treat us like anything the slugs from that you. we are. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Please pour salt on us and watch us bubble. We are disgusting. Yeah, I never had like a negative reaction to it, and then I feel like I like it more as time has gone on. Yeah. Um, I mostly feel sad. I think I'm more affected by James Gandolfini. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of like, wait, like I it, like that affects me more than the ending of The Sopranos because I was like, well, we're really not going to have that again. So it, it made it yeah. more final to me or something. Like, I don't yeah, know. that that the ultimate spoiler is death. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it, I, sometimes <laughs> I say really profound things on this podcast. <laughs> um, if someone could please put that on a t-shirt because yeah, just that was, a that was... coffee table book of Matt Liebisms. I mean, you are wearing a shirt that has one of your own quotes on it today, Matt. I am wearing my own merch right now. I It's laundry day and this is all I... <laughs> <laughs> wearing a shirt that just says how come on it with a guy screaming with bloody arms uh it's uh don't worry about it desi it's a it's a it's a bit that i do when i do stand up okay uh, but uh this is not a podcast about me doing stand up this is a podcast about the sopranos and as you all know we cannot start this podcast until we have all heard the theme song Pod. 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 Podcast. Pod. 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 Podcast. All righty, everybody. Today, we are talking about from season four of The Sopranos, episode 12. Uh, Eloise is the name of the episode. And uh, this episode premiered December 1st, 2002. Vince, can you break us off a little piece of that synopsis? Oh, I sure can. Uh, That's a synopsis that goes something like... Carmela and Furio grow too close for safety, while Polly discovers that he's not as big a fish as he thought he was. I love that they did too close for safety, but not comfort. Mm. <laughs> they decided to, they bailed on the cliche. That's right. Because they were, the writer was like, nah, we're going to go for something original here. Um, yeah, so that that's uh, some of the things that happened in the episode. IMDb is not great with synopses. But Vince... What uh, what was happening at the time that this episode uh, aired? That's right. We're going to take a little trip uh, in the Remember When machine all the way back to December 1st, 2002. Remember when is the lowest form of conversation. 
Yeah, a lot of things happening uh, this week back in uh, 2002. Um, mm. f- well, first of all, you know, uh, Bobby Bacala, a.k.a. Steve Shirapa, he has written a book called uh, The Goomba's Guide to Life, and he's oh, yeah. he's got a write-up in the New York Post about it on this day in 2002. Uh, so- wow. Soprano star Steve Shirapa says he's stunned at the success of his book, A Goomba's Guide to Life, which he co-wrote with Charles Fleming and which was ranked 178 on Amazon.com as of late Friday. I knew it was Pretty funny, good. but I didn't know if it would catch on, says Shirapa, who plays Uncle Junior's driver enforcer, Bobby Bacala, on the series. I thought people would think the book was a Goomba pamphlet, but it's my guide to life and how I got through it, Shirapa said. I had Michael Imperioli and Tony Sirico, who's the ultimate Goomba, read the galleys. And when Tony gave me the thumbs up, I knew that was it. So, uh, is this a self-help book for, like... Oh, just uh, wait, just wait, hold on. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm cracking a stereotype here, showing that a Goomba is more of an attitude, he said. He's a guy who loves his family and friends and isn't a gangster. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love cool. it. He's kind of. I like that he's reclaiming it. It's like, no, this is our word, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah, this just is a, the G word. This is a guy who loves family, is not a gangster, and yeah. uh, dresses nicely. He's an early proponent of an, like anti-Italian, <laughs> like yeah. going against the anti-Italian racism or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's like the the first the the. Uh, I think it's called the Antipasta Defamation League. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, he definitely is like, listen, a goomba is less of a thing where you're, you know, a gangster and you're killing people. It's more of a like when you hear your family, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's one of those things. I do. I do love his reclamation of the of the word to mean something as vague as it means when you love your family. Yeah, no, that's only goombas that do that. Mm-hmm, that's it. Uh, I mean, you know, congrats to him for, you know, uh you know, make it for being a, an author, a yeah. published author, Steve well, Sharipa. I mean, technically a co-author of the number 178 most popular book on Amazon.com. Does that mean, like, does that count as a bestseller? Did did he get New York Times? I, he was list? not on the bestseller list as of, uh, not at least not in the top 10. I looked this week and he wasn't in there. Uh-huh. But, uh, you if know. If Amazon was around back then, I think he would have been at the top of some list, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. For sure. I mean, unfortunately, you it, would, know, it I was mean, like at the top of the Goomba's Guide to Gifts yeah. <laughs> for dads and grads. Uh, I guess this was right before Christmas. So, you know. Yeah. No, it is a perfect. That's like the exact type of Christmas gift that you get to your large son. Who, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a like stocking the, stuffer that goes right under like a jar of sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> it's okay he could say that his last name is mancini oh, I got it. he's uh, all out yeah so a lot of things other things that were happening this week and other big news uh this was the week that the cent- cent- uh, central park five uh were cleared by new dna test evidence oh wow uh, that, that that's insane i forgot it was like 2002 yeah more than a decade later the official view of those words has taken a sharp turn the Manhattan District Attorney Robert M. Morgenthau has signaled that he is likely to join defense lawyers on Thursday in asking a judge to vacate the conviction. Uh, Mr. Morgenthau... Oh, how magnanimous. Yeah. How magnanimous of the cops uh, to be like, fine, you've gotten all of the evidence that exists. Yeah. 
Oh, well, uh, it gets better. Mr. Morgenthau declined to be interviewed last week. He said in October that he had been surprised by evidence that emerged in the last year. The new evidence includes a claim by Matias Reyes, a convicted murderer and serial rapist, that he alone Mm -hmm. attacked the jogger. DNA tests not only proved his involvement, but also showed that physical evidence had been wrongly used at two trials in 1990 to implicate the five teenagers. Uh, I mean... (laughs) just like you mean fake planted evidence i mean it's like oh god yeah other former and current law enforcement officials including police detectives and linda fairstein the chief of the chief of the sex crimes unit who oversaw the prosecution was when she was a member of the district attorney's office continue to hold that the teenagers managed to have some contact with the jogger and perhaps ran the jogger off the path starting the assault that mr reyes finished oh fucking I mean, just these, uh, like, I'm not a religious person, but I only, like, I don't care if there's a heaven. I really need there to be a hell. (laughs) Like, I would really love if there were a hell because some people really do need at least a thousand years of burning in flames. That is, uh, I mean, the thing about the Sopranos to tie it in, (laughs) which I rarely do. I like when you, uh, when you digress. Anyway, speaking of hoping that certain people burn in hell for a thousand years. Well, the the thing thing about about the Sopranos, I'm, uh, I am, I, I am, I am watching it, you know, uh, you know, rewatching it. And as I've like gotten older, every rewatch, um, you know, the, the tactics of like the FBI and law enforcement become more and more just like, I don't know. They're almost like nerf compared to real life. You uh-huh, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like uh, you watching like them carelessly entrap people who are definitely going to die and like, you know, try to make informants out of people who don't know shit. And mm-hmm. just all they do is put people's lives in danger. Like I-, I remember that being really profound at the time when I first watched it, like, you know, cops doing crooked shit. But now, like, I don't know, as I've gotten even older, I'm just like, you know, they, the Sopranos didn't go hard enough on the cops because, uh, <laughs> like, real prosecutors, real cops, real feds are literally the devil. And uh, Well, that's you know. why we have the mayor of Easttown. They showed her planting those uh, drugs on, the, on, uh, yeah. on her stepdaughter. I don't know, I don't know what that is. Daughter-in-law. She's trying to is get in custody. You don't, you don't know what the mayor of Easttown is? it's uh is that a new show do you even watch prestige tv bro i i I watch the sopranos well show some love for kate winslet it's the show everyone's watching because there's nothing else on basically yeah is it is it oh is it the show sense though is it the show over to the wawa to get some water and stuff like that dude is it is it the one that is mare m-a-r-e yeah her name's mare Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw everyone online talking about mare, and I mm-hmm. was just like, I don't know what mare is, but uh, I know it's a horse of some sort, mm-hmm. so I don't want to watch a horse show. Yeah, it's not about horses. It's not a horse it's show? It's about okay. Kate Winslet. She's a Does grandma she... cop who doesn't play by the rules anymore. Oh, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, I like it. Um, Well, if you thought the article about the uh, Central Park Five was gross... Uh, this was also the week that People Magazine named uh, Donald... <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein. The... Oh, no. <laughs> it might ahead. be worse. Uh, named Donald Rumsfeld, quote, sexiest cabinet member. What? Jesus uh, This is a real article. CNN called him a virtual rock star. 
Fox dubbed him a Beltway Babe Magnet, and the Wall Street Journal hailed the new hunk of home front airtime. No, it's not the next Brad Pitt. The guy causing the commotion is 70-year-old grandfather of five, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. Rumstud, as President Bush refers to his front man. As we all all refer to him. As we all (laughs) refer to him. Rumstud. It's a good pun, and it describes him perfectly. (laughs) With his worn brown shoes and rumpled gray suits, has put a new spin on Henry Kissinger's maxim, power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. God, this is honestly who was this a David Frum piece? Did he like do a feature for people real quick? I don't think it had a byline. With you blunt- know, there's nothing sexier than Donald Rumsfeld and he- Henry Kissinger in the same fucking sentence. Yeah. <laughs> they had to pick someone from the Bush administration, like. Why even go there? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're about to, you know, go to Iraq. I love that even People Magazine is trying to manufacture consent. Like, even Mm -hmm. they are like, all right, we all got to get on board. All of the media gets together. Manufacturing a lot of different types of consent here, which is... Uh, With blunt talk and wry humor, Mr. Secretary has become the Pentagon's very own must-see TV. More than any other man in Washington, says Barbara Starr, CNN's Pentagon correspondent, Donald Rumsfeld exercises absolute raw, ruthless power and enjoys it. On the flip side, she adds, Rummy can be a, quote, a big flirty pussycat. Happily married to his high school sweetheart, Joyce, 70, the 5'10", bespectacled father of three has proven his mettle under pressure. On 9-11, while most senior officers were running for cover, Rumsfeld was outside the Pentagon carrying stretchers. Furiously masturbating and planting <laughs> evidence. I'm just kidding. Uh, the, ex-Navy con- the ex-Navy pilot is an old-fashioned all-American he-man, plain and simple, says Jennifer Harper, media columnist for the Washington Times. He's got that steady gaze, that strong jaw. A man you could trust if all hell were breaking loose. That's pretty sexy stuff. Jesus Christ, dude. At least pick like John Ashcroft. He could sing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's where we were uh, in 2002. Uh, our moral compass was just rotting, rotting right off, right Fucking before a. our very eyes. Real, real top shelf disgusting shit today, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those were, that was, the, that was just, you know, that was what was happening. What can I say? Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, thank God you know, we had the Sopranos. Thank God, seriously, that was all that. There, that was the only good thing happening in America. So what's what else? Uh, oh, what else happened? I mean, that's basically it. The movies and the songs are the same as last week. We don't need to. This is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Die another day. Santa Claus mm-hmm. Two. Uh, a couple months that premiered were Treasure Planet, which was a Disney uh-huh. animated movie about Treasure Island set in space. Which I did. Yeah, I completely memory flop. hold that one. Yeah, yeah, it flopped like fantastically, and there was uh, apparently it's actually really good, but oh. just no one, no one wanted to see it. it or nine eleven happened, and they really didn't want to see a movie about a treasure planet. And uh, and eight crazy nights by uh, Adam Sandler. Those de- debuted at four and five, so you know they weren't uh, weren't doing Not great, super great. Um, yeah, and you know Eminem's still at the top of the charts with "Lose Yourself." Hell yeah, you know you're right by Nirvana. And that was the Remember When Machine. All right. Well, that was the Remember When Machine. And now we got to get into this episode. 
Um, as Vince said earlier, you know, the synopsis is Carmela and Furio go, grow too close for safety. And Polly discovers he's not as big of, his, uh, of a fish as he thought he was. Boring stuff, uh, which is why um, I have uh, the Bada B stories for you that will really go into depth explaining all of the storylines in the episode. Oh, I can't and, wait. Uh, Apologies up front. Mm, I like. Uh, they're always better when you apologize first. God. Young AJ, he's reading an essay on Billy Bud. Polly's mom keeps talking, makes Minnie crash her car. Furio, here's Tony, call common awful name. He's angry and almost pushes Tony into helicopter planes. You're standing, you're standing, you're standing, you're standing too close, standing too close. You're standing, you're standing, you're standing, you're standing too close, standing too close. Only two verses, don't worry. I love you, I want you to be my one You help my mama mia Think of the best floor times I leave the country Go back to Italia You daughter, she in love Time well spent, Matt. Time well spent. I did three part harmonies on that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's high. I can't. I've tried to sing along to Sting when I've been in the car, and I'm glad that no one was there to hear it because I almost lost. I almost lost my voice just trying to record that. (laughs) Um, But. the reason I picked that song, other than the obvious reasons of him saying uh, standing too close, is uh, to me, this episode uh, is purely about people standing too close mm. in a metaphorical sense. Oh, go you know? on. Like in an art type of way. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so like you've got, obviously, you've got Furio is too close to Carm. And, and and he knows it. And meanwhile, obviously, Carm is also too close to Furio. Polly is too close to Johnny Sack. Uh, and Johnny Sack is too close to Tony, according to Little Carmine. Uh, Little Carmine is too close to his father. Uh, Tony is too close to those helicopter blades. Mm. Um, he's also, uh, if you'll, you know, bear with me for a second. This is really profound. He's too close to his ego. Because mm. he just can't see past the fact that he just he doesn't understand that anyone could cheat on him. He could he can he can't even he can't even picture it in his mind. Um, and then of course there's AJ who's obviously one step closer to the edge and he's about to break. Um, but yeah, that to me that's uh, that's what the episode is about. People uh, blinded by their friendships and feelings for uh, one another. Yeah. And Min is too close to the dinner rolls. Yes, Min was <laughs> Min was way too close to those dinner rolls and stole them directly from uh, Nucci, apparently. Um, 
Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, I don't know. To me, this episode is, is mostly it's, I'm not going to say a filler episode. It's not like, it doesn't feel like the standard filler. It is really kind of like an abrupt arc closing episode for, uh, Furio and Carmela, which I was happy for. Like, I felt like they Mm. took that storyline as far as it could go without them, you know, having sex. And it was kind of getting tiresome after like three episodes of them, uh, you know, mooning over each other and not doing anything about it. Like you have to, you have have to either shit or get off, uh, get off the pot. And so they sent them back to Italy, which, uh, I mean, it makes me sad to lose Furio, but I am not sad to lose the Furio Carm storyline. Oh, I love it. You do? I hate I, uh... Furio. <laughs> to, me, to me, Furio is like the Fabio of the Sopranos universe. <laughs> yeah. I don't get why Sopr- like Carmelo likes him at all. Like, I don't get the appeal. I am more attracted to like the Tony type. <laughs> I'm admitting that I am fucked up. Uh, I am glad the storyline is over. Um, but time to, to me, this episode is kind of just setting up white caps. Yes. And I mean, like it's definitely there to set up what's coming. Yeah. Um, for sure. And wrapping up the Furio was essential to that. I think. I mean, yeah. like, I think we, we said this on another episode, but like <clears throat> Furio was a very good character at the beginning when he's like this nice, uh, kind of affable, like Italian meathead who, yeah. uh, bursts, who like sort of bursts all the Italian guys bubble by being like exotic and weird to them. Um, yes. But then when they turned him into, like you said, basically the Fabio of the Sopranos, it was kind of like, <laughs> all right, uh, well, he, yeah, he, this guy was much better when he was like murdering people, and then yeah, yeah, because it was a contrast to that kind of dorky European. Yeah, Maroni, it smells like a heaven in here. <laughs> yeah, With I fucked up your face. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, the Carmela thing brought up this softer side that I was just not into. I'm like, I didn't want it. Yeah, I, I agree. When he I was agree when he's like a sociopathic murderer in a glorious, uh, gloriously tacky silk shirt, that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. But when he's just like a fuck boy in a silk shirt, you're like, well, that's just kind of like standard fuck boy stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they they turned him into like some guy on the cover of a romance novel for sure. Right. And and it it, appeals to like middle aged women, I think, like that type of guy for sure. They're kind of safe, like in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and I I think for me, what I like about the storyline a lot because I do agree with you that it it definitely is. uh, He's a far cry from who he was when he was introduced. Yeah. Um, actually, for example, like in this very episode, uh, when he's watching Tony like uh, uh, cheating on Carm, and there's a woman next to him who's like, "Do you want to go upstairs with me?" Like my expectation for that, like interaction was for him to be like, fuck you, you are whore or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but he was just like, your no, expectation so- was for him to turn into a Russian all of a sudden. Yeah. I can't do a perfect accent. <laughs> fuck you, you are a whore. Uh, you know, I can't. Uh, but yeah, but instead he's just like, he's very like, no, it's okay. But uh, what, what I enjoy about it is it's, specifically for Carmela Soprano's story, which is like that she's so good at reacting uh, to the situations that her feelings have put her into, you know, like, like she's the way she reacts. Isn't it? It isn't just like, Oh, I'm, I'm like in love and she's like floating on a cloud and whatnot. It's uh, it's more nuanced than that because her anger when he leaves in this episode 
uh, she just takes out on everyone else. And it just like, it gives Edie Falco a chance to really, I don't know, delve into this character of the suburban mafia wife. Well, and she also doesn't get the chance to like twist the knife into her daughter very often. And, yes. uh, and you can, and like in this episode, when they're going back and forth, you know, you can tell like, oh yeah, she can definitely put you in your place if she wants to. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah, it's a great Carmela episode because she really gets to play opposite of what she's feeling inside almost the whole episode. It's yes. so contained, but we kind yeah. of see her rage almost throughout, like once Fiora leaves. She's yes. just angry about everything that's not Furio. But it's yeah. all about that, which I think is like more about her ticket out than Furio, even. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I th- I think you're yeah. you're right. It is definitely her her ticket out even though it's like to any like rational observer you're like you're just trading mo- one mafioso for another like it's insane. But that's who she runs into. Like yeah. the only other person was like the priest before, right? It's like yeah. and, and none of these relationships are viable if she left Tony for them. Right. It wouldn't even be a possibility like yeah, 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 but yeah. he's a mafioso that appreciates the smell of the olives on a nice <laughs> summer yeah. day while he's you know digging a trench and his grandfather's a yard or whatever. And they and, have to and do like a Michael Corleone and like move back to the old country together or something. Mm-hmm. But never yeah, I I do yeah. think. And then I she'd be like, God, a little I'm so bit of that. fucking tired of him always uh, digging up a handful of rich soil and asking me, asking me to smell <laughs> yeah. how fertile it is. If he does that one more time, yeah. I swear to God. I'm yeah. like, I don't know the difference between fertile soil and dirt. Why are you making me smell it? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it definitely like makes it so that Carmela's... Uh, storyline and like emotional arc in this episode is the most compelling thing. And I think that's why I love this relationship. You think the the Carmela story arc is the most compelling in this episode? No, no, no. The most compelling uh, that she has been uh, in this relationship. Because like before it was definitely kind of this back and forth and like talking with Ro and I don't know what's going to happen in this one. Just the sudden like going from they have a date set up. Yeah. Uh, to he's left the country is fucking crazy. And I actually, I, I have a clip of the uh, of the very first scene we see with Furio finally entering the house after uh, like two weeks of deciding to not come in for random reasons. The entire point of Melville's Billy Bud, it seems to me, is to show how mean humans can be to each other, especially when living in cramped conditions. Well, hold that thought. Morning. So how is your mother's apartment coming? Uh, Ari's uncle Zio finished the framing, but now the Chirac is wet on the bottom. There's a leak maybe in the foundation. My father is a contractor. If you want, I can have him take a look at it. He is free, I think, tomorrow afternoon. That would be a huge relief. Hmm. Hmm. What smells in this house? Maron, it's like the smell of heaven. Homemade scones. My son loves them. Well, that's all there is for breakfast is fat and carbs. Excuse me, we have a guest. Do you think you might say hello? Anyway. (laughs) It's like the smell of heaven. Like, I mean, I love that he's laying it on thick. And uh, he's like, I go to a sleeper with the fish and I wake up up in the sky (laughs) with the heaven. (laughs) All of a sudden, why does it smell like a scone? (laughs) 
So later in that scene, um, you know, because like Carmen and Furio are vibing and I don't know, maybe it's just maybe I'm just a shill for love, but I love to see uh, people like flirting and vibing with each other and then have it completely, completely crash down when Tony shows up. I think, yeah, I think the compelling thing about that scene was just the scone politics where like Karma's made these scones and, you know, she's like obviously trying to use them to like woo Furio with. And then AJ turns him down because he's trying not to get fat. And then Furio turns him down. And then the only person who wants a scone is Tony, who comes in, takes one bite of it, and like gives her like a look, like, hey, pretty good, huh? And then puts it down. And then <laughs> what's and that's all she got out of making those fucking scones. Yeah. yeah, I love I love the contrast where it's like when you get into a relationship where you start hating everything about them. Like mm-hmm. she's so repulsed by Tony, and I was repulsed by him eating that scone too. I was like, "You motherfucker!" Like <laughs> yeah. just the way he ate it and then put it back down on the plate like a fucking pig. It was just <laughs> you could sense her rage at the whole scene of it. Like it was so funny to me. Uh, Tony is very funny to me. Yeah, it's, like hey, it's great job doing that wife stuff here in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Really and it's just so she doesn't yeah. want it at all like hey hey look you're exactly where you belong you did a good <laughs> job just... and now you got a pat on the head like a good woman <laughs> like a good dog <laughs> yeah i mean but that's i think that's why i love the furio uh karm stuff so much is because of the fact that like you've got uh tony and his like weird traditionalism where he's just stoked that his wife is you know like cooking and stuff and uh and obviously wetting his beak on the scones and you've got this kind of like uh unspoken little secret between uh carmela and furio and tony literally has no idea not a clue to the point where he's like i think you know he gets them two tickets to paradise or wherever uh-huh yeah and then he's Back just like uh, leave tonight like literally yeah yeah, like l- literally. And then fucking, uh, you know, he says, like, listen, I think you need to get away. I think that's probably why you changed your hair. <laughs> and it's like, fucking, hey, dude, you really have no clue. Right. None. And that continues to the end. He just doesn't yes. get it. Like, we'll but- get to that later, but. That was such, yeah. such a great moment because you could tell it was like him mustering all the empathy that he could in his body because he's like, he's trying to use the tricks he's learned in psychoanalysis to right. understand karma. And he's just like, yeah, that's probably why you cut your hair. And he's yeah, like, wow, dude. Her. Notice her hair. <laughs> <laughs> Notice her hair and try to, you know, define, d- try to define the reason why she changed mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you at this point you'd figure he'd learn at least some psychoanalysis just by osmosis, osmosis alone. Yeah. But you know, for him, I think it's because it just literally doesn't enter into his mind because he's too much of a of an egomaniac. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that's of, like one of the better. Uh, there's there's a lot of great scenes in this uh, episode and yeah. uh, and some bad ones too. Like I think the scene between Johnny Sack, Carmine, and Carmine's son at, at the golf course is mm-hmm. like one of the worst scenes that I've seen on The Sopranos. It's like they're trying to do so many different things in the middle of that scene. Like they're trying to they're trying to differentiate like Car- Carmine Jr.'s motives from Carmine and Johnny Sack's uh they're all trying to play each other in this like 10 second scene um and, and meanwhile they're trying to do like casual golf stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. it just it comes off 
I don't know. It was just a bad scene. Like they're trying to do 20 different they're things and the scene doesn't breathe. Home, that little Carmine is jealous basically. Yeah. Right. In such right. A ham-fisted way. And then yes. big Carmine or whatever the fuck his name is. His name is big Carmine. Yeah. starts hitting things with the golf club. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, that's like, first of all, we don't really need Carmine Jr. to be jealous of Tony. That's sort of just like a, a wasted uh, storyline with no payoff so like they're trying to establish something that's unnecessary and then they do like the weird golf stuff like we don't see johnny sack hit the ball but we see him react to hitting the ball for some reason so uh, weird he, yeah he randomly in the middle of this like of little carmine blowing up the negotiation because he's jealous for no yeah. reason uh he just goes oh, what are they resawed that green yeah it's clearly like, like he hit a bad sh- people never played golf before wrote this scene and thought maybe someone there would have known yeah i think i mean i think he like i think he originally hit a shot there and they cut it out for time but they left the reaction for some reason and it was like why how are you having him react to a shot that we didn't see and no mm. reason and then carmine is pissed about his golf shot like three minutes after he hit for whatever reason and he like right yeah. well he, he he gets a mulligan you know the mulligan yeah he got yeah. a mulligan he hit it then johnny sack hit it johnny sack reacted to his own ball and then carmine smashed his club against the ball washer for some reason like a super delayed reaction it's like they just wanted to they found a really clunky way of throwing a wrench into the negotiation um and kind of prolonging this storyline i mean really that storyline is only useful in leading to the end of the episode right in which johnny sack makes it abundantly clear that he wants to take out um carmine yeah, yeah. like johnny sack's motive had a payoff and it was clear there but like carmine jr is just in that scene to drop malapropisms and uh <laughs> and then have like four changes of emotion in like 10 seconds to be fair though Everything that Lil Carmine says ever in The Sopranos is gold, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that he you is would. like... I thought it was a little creaky this time, a little creakier than last nah, time. Nah, I love all, uh, like, malapropisms. Oh, by the way, um, is it malaprop or malaprop? I think it's malapropism, I believe. That's how I've heard it, but then I heard someone say malaprop, uh, and I was like, oh, fuck, maybe we've been saying it wrong this know. whole time. But uh, like I, I like at one point he goes, he's an old fashioned guy, very allegorical. You know, I uh, I'm not really entirely sure what they meant to do there, um, but uh, I just love when he gets words wrong. Uh, man after my own my own heart. Um, but yeah, moving on. I, I mean, that storyline in general is just uh, it's just a long build up to get to Johnny Sack wanting to murder Big Carmine. Oh, I have um, some which, trivia though that we've never I've never pointed out before. In the, as we've talked about Carmine, I don't think. Oh, which yeah, please. is that uh, you know Carmine is played by uh, what's his name, Lip uh, Tony Lip, and Tony Lip, Tony yeah. the Lip, Tony Lip, um, who is who is the driver. For the classical pianist Don Shirley, uh, which was the basis for Green Book, which was Wait, written, shut the fuck up! Which was written by Carmine's actual son, uh, yeah, Nick Vellalonga. What? What? Really? Yeah. Oh, that's uh. There we go. He was the one I who taught that. that pianist how to eat fried chicken in the car. Exactly. Yeah. He he, he taught him, uh, you know, what it means to be a black man in America. <laughs> uh 
Low-key, though, I really enjoy that movie. There's just something about yeah, it. No, it's, it's very... a, like, here's the thing. That was a movie that if you... And the only thing offensive about it was that it was up for awards. Like, if you just saw that movie and you're like, oh, this is a Peter Farrelly movie, you'd be like, oh, that was a fine Peter Farrelly movie. But then the minute someone's like, hey, let's give it best picture, you're like, wait, what? No. Yeah, like, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? <laughs> this is too far, guys, too far. Um, well, that is an uh, interesting uh, bit of trivia. Um, but, uh, yeah, getting back to, uh, what's happening with, uh, Carmela at this time, um, Carmela, the, has this scene with Furio in which they, uh, which you feel like, okay, this is it. This is finally them. They're going to hook up or they're going to kiss or whatnot, because we've had multiple scenes now in which they've gotten like real close. And then someone is like interrupted, Mm -hmm. but then, they just decide to do that again in this scene. Um, and and I feel like this was, I think for me, when I first saw it, I was like, I think we're closing the book on this whole thing because you're only watching as Furio gets more and more angry uh, <laughs> at Tony. Um, you know, Tony's in the car with him right after the scene where they, uh, where she doesn't want the tickets for some reason and calls her a moody bitch. Yeah. And Furio's like has this look on his face, like I don't know, but like maybe you guys aren't attracted to him, but I think he's like it was kind of hot. Like <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, defend her honor, dude. That's fucking sick. Um, I do think he would have been hotter if he did kill Tony. <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the closest that we got to him uh, being you know, as hot as I wanted him to be. And, and also it would have been consistent with the character that they've been fucking writing for the last few seasons, uh, is the scene where he almost pushes him into, uh, a, uh, into a blade of, uh, a propeller blade. Um, and, uh, and he last minute decides not to do it, which I don't know. It was the perfect crime. Speaking of bad scenes, uh, in this, this episode, I think, you know, the, the episode evens out after those, couple bad ones at the beginning but um you know you got brian camarada being like the worst uh drunk actor ever before and then the next and next thing you know you got two guys deciding to take a pee like in the wash of a helicopter like is there a worse place to try to, to go for a piss and also not, I, I that's what i kept thinking of the whole time not, i don't know about physics but i was like wouldn't that just like spray all over yeah <laughs> like their piss would be going all over each other they're still or right by the blade no matter how drunk you were it it, it depends on what side of the blade on one side of the blade like it'll definitely blow into your face but on the other side of the blade it'll pull the pee out well that was the thing like if that was what was happening they should have had them you know comment on it somehow like oh look at that stream or you know (laughs) yeah i'm hey i'm I'm setting the world record over here (laughs) yeah um, but yeah, uh, it, it is strange. I mean, for me, it's like, uh, you know, it's worth it for, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's a just a regurge. I like when he says regurge. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I also, um, you know, I liked him like looking at all the pieces, seeing the perfect crime taking place. Um, the only thing I didn't like is that like, he didn't push him in because mm-hmm. like i think that would have been consistent that would have been the most consistent thing crime of passion and whatnot of course it also would have ended the show so i could see how that'd be a problem maybe tony like trips on a rock behind him and then furio goes head first into the blade 
And, yeah. uh, and then, then instead of going back to Italy, he gets decapitated by a helicopter blade. Low key, that, uh, that actually works just as good. Um, and I, and that maybe is something that should have happened because, mm. uh, you know, Tony is too drunk to remember that a Furio tried to kill him. Uh, you know, he's like, he, he just, he, he hasn't put the pieces together cause he's drunk or whatnot. And so like, he just kind of goes on the same thing could have happened. he's like, Oh, somehow Furio tripped on me. Uh, mm. and then like fell into a helicopter blade. Actually, he may have even saved my life. Then Carm could have still been mad. Uh, still blame Tony, um, still been depressed and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, we would have had a loose end nice and tied up. Uh, but no, they, you know, Vince, the problem is you weren't on the writing staff. Well, plus they like loose ends are part of the Sopranos charm to some degree. Like That's the true. idea that you never know when the Russians going to come back. You never know when Furio is going to come back from Italy. Uh, yeah. you know, they'd like to have those wild cards up their sleeve just in case. And I appreciate that. Add some tension. Um, the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But yeah, uh, so this all leads to uh, 
you know, Carmela kind of finding out randomly from a friend at church uh, that uh, Furio has put uh, his house on the market. Furio and Gunther, which was my one of my favorite lines of the... Who's so, that guy saw, you sent over? Furio Gunther? I like the idea that this woman who's lived in Jersey her whole fucking life and every single person that she comes into contact with has like a super Italian name, but uh, she couldn't pronounce Junta. Yeah. Yeah. I I did wonder like like I, I it was so wrong that I forgot what his last name was mm. and I had to look it up and I was like oh shit how did she fuck that one up um, but I think it was just supposed to speak to the fact that like this obviously all happened really rapidly like so rapid oh, yeah. she didn't even remember Plus, the name yeah she's from what, Jersey I believed it what was nothing to this woman was everything to Carmela and it was mm-hmm. just tossed off this information was tossed off to her meaninglessly like right yeah just completely devastated by it yeah it's completely devastated and you know Furio, uh, j- j- well not gonna not gonna live here anymore anyway. not gonna live here anymore uh <laughs> and uh yeah so it, it causes her to kind of spiral and she goes from earlier having seen with meadow in which they both like sigh about love and <laughs> like like that scene to me i mean you know i oh, feel like we were only man we're only talking we're only talking about the bad scenes, and I feel like don't worry, we're getting to the good scenes. Right, but but there was that scene where uh, well, I think Meadow, the scone thing, the scone scene was brilliant. I think that's very true. But uh, Meadow is with um, uh, Carmela and talking about uh, Finn, and Meadow says some men just need to go at their own pace. Mm-hmm. And then there's this pause, and Meadow says, "It's amazing, isn't it? Some men have to move at their own pace, Med." It's amazing, isn't it? And I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> Is she talking about men going at their own? It just felt like such a non sequitur. Or were yeah. they looking at a juggler or something <laughs> nearby? It was anyone. I don't it, know. it was weirdly timed. Like if she would have said it right after. Uh, and not waited. The pause is what the throws you off. The pause ruined it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the pause is the thing that I was like, "What? Why? I don't understand it." Um, I also like the name, uh, excellent soprano's name, Finn DeTrulio, because they they love doing that with uh, all the people, all the, all the characters of Meadows Generation. They like try to give them the waspiest names, so you know, yes. Meadow Soprano Finn DeTrulio. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like the perfect you know avatar for like fourth generation italian whose family has gone straight and been successful and yeah and so we get to uh learn a little bit more about um meadow's living situation in colombia and um and it all leads to this uh this dinner scene which is i think my favorite in the episode uh in which a discussion of billy budd takes place with (laughs) aj soprano (laughs) did you like billy budd it was okay. My teacher says it's a gay book. Oh, that is ridiculous. I've heard that before. That was written when? The 19th century? Yeah, I didn't even know they had fags back then. AJ. No offense. I'm not gay. You're not? No. This stuff is pervading our educational system. Not to mention movies, TV shows. What stuff? This gay nonsense they're teaching. I am sorry, but Billy Budd is not a homosexual book. Actually, it is, Mother. I saw the movie Meadow with Terrence Stamp. Terrence Stamp was in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I don't know about that. 
But Billy Budd is the story of an innocent sailor being picked on by an evil boss. Who's picking on him out of self-loathing caused by homosexual feelings in a military context. Oh, please. Okay. Oh, what's the difference, huh? I'm just saying it's ridiculous how everything is being sold as homosexual nowadays. Leslie Fiedler has written extensively on gay themes in literature since the early 60s. Billy Budd in particular. Well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's a he mother, and he's lectured at Columbia, as a matter of fact. Well, maybe he's gay. You ever thought of that? <laughs> Just goes to show, you know, moms, they really only start worrying about, like, think of the children when they're not getting any, and they're, uh, you, know, mm-hmm. when, you know, as soon as their lovers, potential lovers move back to Italy, then it's all about, you know, all this, uh, mm-hmm. all this trying to recruit my kids kind of stuff. <laughs> well, she clearly doesn't, she's clearly made, uh, Furio, Billy Butt. <laughs> she, she can't have them being attracted to each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because it's like he's. Uh, he reads as gay, I think, in 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 kind of an American way. You know what I mean? Like he's like he's he's a he's a svelte, uh, lean Italian man with long hair. Uh, which in America, you know, is like very brightly colored silk shirts. Yeah. If you're not gay, you're Italian, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's, it's one or the other. And so I do think there's, uh, there's part of her that is defensive of Billy Budd because Billy Budd is just Furio and and like the mean boss is Tony and, uh, and this idea that like, it would even be possible that he's yeah. that Furio's gay, just like because like it's entering her mind. It must enter her mind the fact that like he just ran off. Like maybe like, he was gay or mm-hmm. like like he didn't stay for the color tile date. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean that maybe that would mean he was gay. Like if he right or into the decorating. <laughs> That's true. It was very confusing for Carm, you know. Yeah, she's got a lot going on with that. She's got like a lot. Tony, I like that Tony's kind of the better ally in this yes. scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like really funny and charming. Like everyone clearly likes him. He's making yes. jokes and like, uh, and she's just off the rails, annoying. Like, or yeah. like over the top. Like she's clearly dealing with some anger issues here. Right. Um, yeah. He He's found his place to be someone uh, who is like trying to defuse this like uh tense situation that's yeah. like tense for no reason and uh and he's just like hey you know so what if it's gay live and let live Go- <laughs> gob and let ghoul yeah. you know and and like he's uh it's it's nice to i always love seeing tony in that uh kind of situation where he's not the one who's emotional and he's not right. the one who's like acting completely on like pure impulse and, and it probably infuriates carmela even more to see everyone liking him like it's like no, mm-hmm. he's the fucking problem, not yeah. me. Like, yeah. And she's also, uh, you know, punishing Meadow the same way that uh, she was punished. Uh, you know, when no one ate her scones, she's she's somehow like internalized the anger and refuses to eat like any of the chicken cacciatore or any of the food oh, yeah, that yeah. Uh, Meadow has prepared. Yeah, and uh, and and also like just on a. I don't know, on a pure like writing tip, like the the everything that she says in that scene, the way that Carmela is written and acted is fucking pitch perfect. It's so fun. Like, you know, oh, you know, this actor was in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And she goes, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> like like that is the perfect response. That is like yeah. like a page taken out of like real Italian suburban mom life. It just felt so real. 
Um, and uh, that and reminded just, me like, of when I was eighteen, and uh, when I just turned eighteen, and we were trying to buy the cigarettes after midnight, and the mm-hmm. clerk was adamant that it wasn't my birthday yet because uh it wasn't the next day yet even though it was after midnight and she did the well i don't know about that my shift starts at 7 a.m so (laughs) and you're like trying to like speak logically he's like no you don't need to know about that that's a fact (laughs) that's yeah that's exactly what i said didn't go over well uh yeah 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 you you didn't get those cigarettes nope did not not from her um but yeah then you've also got uh just kind of like the retort of uh you know, uh, Leslie is a man. Is like, well, maybe he's gay. You ever thought about that? And it's like, well, chances are he is, and <laughs> yeah, no one cares yeah. at this dinner table. <laughs> it's so funny. Meanwhile, Meadow uh, is also again. They write these like uh, I don't know, like upper middle class adolescent Asshole liberals college students. Yeah, perfectly because like she's doing like the perfect like. Actually, that is what's happening. And I, I feel like mm-hmm. the um the um actually has kind of been um That was I a think whole a pro- um actually scene. Like that entire scene was just a symphony it, of um actuallys. And and like in the recent you know, in, in our recent cultural context, like um actually is supposed to be this like mansplainy thing, but it really I think does derive like uh in a non gendered aspect from like just college college know it all like liberal kids yeah like kind of um actually uh like like it's not it's i'm sure that men do it more or whatever but like to me i was like this is just a perfectly written character this meadow kind of being like <laughs> actually mom who never finished college yeah. i've learned because i've read some books yeah. and I like when they're kind of in a situation where they're with people who are really wealthy or really Mm. upper class, like the Carmel is always so tense in those moments, I think. Yeah, she is. She's, she's, uh, you know, a few times in the series, like uh, she shows kind of like open discomfort uh, towards like, um, uh, I guess towards like bowing to people who are supposed to be higher up on the totem pole. Like she got really I mean, that was that was like my experience at Columbia, too, where you're just like hanging oh, out. I can imagine. You, you think you're all peers and then so- suddenly someone's like an Infanta de Gracia and you're like, well, yes. shit, I didn't even know <laughs> yeah. what that was until five minutes ago. Uh, yeah. And here, here we are. Yeah. And here I am impressed with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, and Tony doesn't give a fuck about that kind of shit. But Carmela definitely is bothered by it, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because to her, like a lot of that stuff is just... Um, it is kind of like this uh, suburban keeping up with the Joneses type thing where she's like, that's why she wanted Meadow to go to an Ivy League school. And, and she, she wants to fancy herself a reader like Carmel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I always like that character detail. Uh, yeah. Her. Yeah. Yeah. She's always, you know, reading a book. It, I would always, I'd enjoy it more if the book always was a romance novel and the cover <laughs> of it was a guy who looked like Furio. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyways. So Carmela, you know, uh, goes to a birthday dinner under Eloise's uh, portrait uh, with Meadow and continues having this like drawn out fight with Meadow in which she's just like, you know, um, she's mad at Meadow for like being in love with Finn. And Meadow's also being a total prick because like she's she's like, um, are you just mad because you're old and your pussy's all dried up and and daddy's dick doesn't work and you guys just mash parts but nothing can happen? You know, she says something along those lines. And um, it's funny because like at first 
you're not on Carm's side because you're like, come on, Carmela, like it's your daughter's birthday, get over it. But then Meadow always just takes it eight steps well, I, too far. Yeah, I yeah. think that's like Meadow's stage in life is I think you sort of uh, like the first step uh, towards adulthood is realizing that you can like say something mean to your parents and, and the barbs will actually land. Like she yeah. she just like watched one of her one thing that she said like actually land for once and it's sort of uh sort of like it, novel at that stage of life i feel like I, which that's uh, that's weird to me i don't relate to that at all like there's never been a time where i couldn't hurt my parents feelings like, yeah but maybe you don't notice it when you're younger like when oh i would notice it a lot i would do my best to like keep them like happy and not because whenever they i would accidentally hurt my parents feelings i'd hear about it mm. like a few days later i'd be like why is mom not talking to me and uh, <laughs> and then she would like you know tell me later that i hurt her feelings anyways point is is like it like there's just a type of kid who uh is mean to their parents that i've never been able to relate to because mm-hmm. i'm always like i've always felt like my parents were more fragile than i am <laughs> uh, also, yeah. like, metal thinks she's doing like a tough love thing like yeah in a way and it, it is just mean the way she does it but I do yeah. feel like she thinks she's like pushing her mom to like live her life for herself in a way, but it just never works. Well, she's she's also like the perfect like neoliberal where like the yes. way like you have to identify re, uh, like racism and uh, homophobia in society and then and then scold the people out of it or like be mean to them until they they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, for her, like her finger wagging is uh, like a magic wand, uh-huh. <laughs> and she's just like, <laughs> yeah, if I tell my mom that uh, she is a horrible backwards traditionalist, um, then maybe that'll like spur her to like, you know, get better or whatever. But uh, but it never works. Um, and then of course uh, they get into this fight. Meadow has no idea what's going on until she visits AJ. And they have a uh, a little meeting between the two of them in which uh, Meadow is like asking AJ what's happening with our mom's mood. You know, she seems yeah. like she's kind of in a bad mood. And I, this I is have another like perfectly written scene that really co- perfectly written and perfectly constructed that very like very much contrasts with the uh, the golf scene and a couple of others. Where's mom? Bed, I guess. She seemed weird to you lately. How? Angry. Sad. I guess she's been crying a lot. Since when? Well, last week. I think she's upset about Furio's dad. Why? What do you mean? Well, he died. And I think Furio went back to Italy or something. And she was going over there a lot. To Furio's? She was helping him decorate. And she made me go, too. It was really a pain in the ass. She took you there? More than once? I don't know. A couple. Three times. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Meeting's over. Jesus. I mean, that's just perfect and classic Sopranos writing to just, you know, have this heart to heart and then end it with a fart joke. It's it's rare that you have a button at the end of a scene like a fart <laughs> that yeah. that can work yeah. in the context of the character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's just uh it's it's fucking perfect and just like the abruptness of meeting over <laughs> meeting over uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't you wish you could do that at actual work i mean it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> like it's, you're having a having a talk with your boss and you just fart on him like eh, meeting <laughs> over dude sorry 
Uh-oh. <laughs> TikTok. Meeting over. I shit myself. <laughs> oh, no. That's how I would do it. Um, yeah, no. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, kind of a, I would say uh, a little, uh, it's uh, low-key allegorical to the episode, the mm. abrupt, you know, fart well, meeting over. he's a very over. allegorical guy. It's a, he's very allegorical. I mean, you know, you've got, that's exactly what Furio did. He farted and was like, meeting over, mm-hmm. you know? And that was it. Um, and yeah, and so then we got to get into uh, this this Polly uh, and Nucci storyline. Almost line. always the best storyline is Polly's. Yes. I mean, if if there's a Polly storyline, chances are mm-hmm. it's going to be the best one. Just it's because that's the thing. When it was just Polly alone, obviously it was good, very much enjoyed. When it's Polly and Nucci together, mm-hmm. honestly. I could I could watch that all day. I think she, I, that's a spinoff I would watch. Yeah, she has this incredible style where, like when she's when she's doing her lines, it sounds like she's reading off a teleprompter. But for some reason, like it works perfectly for that mm-hmm. character. Like she doesn't. Um, she has weird inflections, and she seems to like ignore punctuation in her lines, and it makes complete sense sense to her for her for whatever reason. I like all older actors to be really bad. Like I yes. it makes it funnier to be realistic in a way. Like it Yeah, it, it, it adds more to the character because you feel like you make excuses for very, very old actors um sounding strange because you're yeah. like because all people oh, do old. Sa- yeah they do sound strange yeah they've lived they've lived 80 years what do they need commas and semicolons yeah. for yeah and uh so we start out with like nucci is in the car uh with the golden girls min and cookie um just jabbering on about <laughs> fucking nothing talking just, past each other like ships in the mm-hmm. night honestly it's it's just uh beautiful italian blathering mm-hmm. yeah. that like that leads to a car accident this was <laughs> great to watch for me i was like where the hell is this going like yeah yes. scene first appeared i was like what's going on here why am i seeing this like, right um yeah which was great for me to watch because i got i got backed into in a parking lot this past week so it was uh it was nice to see oh, that happen bummer dude on screen yeah it happens man but uh yeah so <clears throat> He, uh, Min gets into this car accident. Uh, they end up, uh, you know, Polly shows up to, uh, you know, scold Min for, uh, driving, you know. By the way, what do we think Min is short for? Uh, 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 I know this. Um, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) This is my grandmother, Minestroni. Minestroni. Um, yeah, what I I I I feel like I I knew maybe it's what, like Mina or Wilhelmina or like mm, I don't know what is like Mindy is Mindy short for anything is like is Minnie or Min Mindy short for a longer name? Yeah, that, it must it must be right. I mean, I don't I don't know. I know that she's uh, she's Minnie Matrone, right? Or yeah, Min Matrone. Uh, it's it's mini it's minestrone. Matrone. Hey, it's a me, a minestrone, minestrone. <laughs> <laughs> like she's the ambassador to the UN or something. Yeah, uh, ambassador to minestrone, minestrone has the floor. Um, yeah. So uh, Min is Min is a wonderful character we've been introduced to this season. Who um, 
you know, Min and Cookie both hate Nucci, but are forced to hang out with her be, uh, on the threat of, uh, I assume, death of their children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or at least physical discomfort. Cookie is like, she's just like the, you know, the old old lady who uh, you kind of respect her. Like she's... She's just aged past the uh, the time when she needs to care about when she needs to put up with fools. Whereas yes. like Min is just kind of an old bitch. Yeah, Min yeah, has she... very like throw mama from the train vibe. Like that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And uh, and yeah, like fucking you know, Polly has been trying to engineer this friendship between all three of them. Uh, like at the, at the end of the uh, barrel of a gun, which is the funniest way to uh, create the golden girls. Like imagine if the golden girls were forced to be friends. Cause uh, <laughs> one of them had a crazy son with a gun pointed at their heads. And um, you know, uh, Polly is like, you know, don't worry, I'll drive you, you know? Uh, and cause they've got tickets to the producers, which is very of that time. I, I remember his, when his entirely performative mom love where he always has to make a big show about how, how much he loves his mother. His performative mom love is what makes his character like even better to me because it is it's real, but it is also performative at the same time for yeah. the people around her. So it's like he does. He is dedicated to his mother, um, but he also wants people to know that he's a good son. Yeah, he's more I, dedicated to people thinking that he's dedicated to his I think mother. he's equally dedicated to both. Right. I think he, he both yeah. is that and wants credit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like very social media vibe where you are a good person, but you also want everyone to know what mm-hmm. you've done. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Not yeah. To just do it in private. You yeah. Very, it. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. I love my Asian wife. And you're just like, <laughs> all right, dude. Like, why are you, why are you doing this? Um, you know, <laughs> the people online, they, uh, they like to let people know that they are good people. Yeah. And, and it's kind of, uh, we've always said Polly is this very online character in a way. Uh. Uh, like he he represents uh the kind of like black and white world of online where he's yeah. just like he's always the most angry the most willing to be like fuck that person forever for any infraction right. over one uh, state like one tweet yeah yeah Polly is the embodiment of mafia cancel culture uh so it's uh so he's perfect in 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 multiple ways but um yeah, so then there's this great scene where he has driven them all to a restaurant, uh, or he's driven them into the city to see the producers, and then they're all sitting around. I mean, uh, imagine being so dedicated to looking like you're a good son that you're willing to drive a group of old ladies to the theater. Whew. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's, I think that's real dedication. I think yeah. that is real love. Like, he's he's protective. He doesn't want Minnie to fucking get into a car accident with his... Right. His little weak ass mom, uh, uh, and uh, I just I love this scene so much because it just uh, it ends with uh, Polly kind of like taking control of uh, the cut of who gets yeah. the roles, <laughs> and uh, and I have a I have a clip of that. I like to have the money right in my hands. Still keep it under the mattress. Never you mind where I keep it. I need change. Where's my rolls? I don't know, Ma. Waiter. These Parker House rolls, they belong to my Ma. They do not. They were for the table. Wrap these up, will you? Cellophane. 
That poor waiter. So, I know. <laughs> you know the clip was shit, like, first of all. like Oh, yeah. It was probably the most difficult table ever. And I absolutely love any moment where I get to see how cheap Polly is. Like, yes, it's always hilarious. It's so funny. He's, like he's so Al Pacino, like trying to get the money out of the parking meter in Donnie Brasco. <laughs> That's like Polly's entire life. Uh, and yes. then that poor waiter has to deal with getting a shitty old lady tip, uh, getting snapped at by Polly, and then demanding that he wrap up the rolls, and also getting told the material that he must wrap up <laughs> the fucking dinner rolls in cellophane. <laughs> So fucking fun. And being just imagine being snapped at by Polly. And the guy's immediately. like cellophane, is that even like a thing that exists anymore? <laughs> it's, so old. it's such an old word choice. Like, yeah. like it's just also her with her breaking her hundred dollar bill, you know that that took forever. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my god. Um and then also we I get a little have, hint. I had flashbacks to uh getting like a hundred dollar bill when I worked as a waiter and then mm-hmm. you know having to walk all the way into the hotel to break the thing because they didn't give us enough money in the cash register and hearing yeah. the old mat old ma- old man mutter to himself, Oy vey, oy vey, oy vey, oy vey. He literally <laughs> muttered it like thirty times that I could hear him while I was going to break the fucking hundred dollar bill. My God. Yeah, I mean, you know, breaking breaking money. Nobody enjoys it. And you're like, would, it's uh, not me. I would give you the change if I had it. I have to walk <laughs> all the way to the hotel for this. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but we do learn a little bit more about uh, Min's kind of uh, financial situation in that like, she keeps her money under her mattress, which is important because we're now at a point with uh, Polly's storyline where he uh, he's convinced himself uh, over this past season that he and Johnny Sack are real good friends <laughs> and that he uh, that Johnny Sack talks to Carmine about him all the time. Um, we'll see. Yeah, Polly's fundamental misunderstanding is that he thinks the mob is about relationships and not strictly about money. So he yes. thinks that like by being buddies with all these other mafia guys that he has created a higher value for himself when in yeah. reality like no one gives a fuck. Like Silvio tells him you're only as good as your last envelope and yeah. uh, I will say, like, this episode, when I watched it the second time, I noticed how much they foreshadowed certain things. Like, there's the courtroom mm. scene where, like, Bobby Bacala is narrowing his eyes and seeing the juror's, like, wedding ring. And then the wheels are turning, like, oh, this guy's got, like, a wife and family and we can probably get to this guy. And sort of yeah. probably doing the same thing in the dinner when uh, the old, when Min is talking about where she keeps all of her cash and she has all these cash assets. And uh, he's yes. like, oh, Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I will file that for later. I know where my next envelope's coming from. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and yeah, he has that great scene with Syl in which she's like, nobody knows what the future holds, my friend. You're a wormy cut sucker, you know that? No! I'm just telling you how you're being fucking perceived. Just worry about how you're fucking perceived. Nobody knows what the future holds, my friend. You know, and uh, <laughs> my favorite line in that is Silvio getting mad and going, I'm just trying to tell you how you're being fucking perceived, like, <laughs> which is a great line because no one has ever wanted someone to tell them how they're being perceived because the other person's thing is like, look, I'm just being devil's advocate about what a how bad of a person you are here. Uh, right. I'm not the bad guy, even though all of these observations are coming directly out of my own brain and from nowhere else. Yeah. 
it's a hard choice of perceived to <laughs> <it's> so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very careful and very consoletti like where he's like, yeah. I'm not telling you a reflection of the reality of the situation. I'm telling you how it could be interpreted by yeah. other parties. Yeah, You insult them a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Not for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, of course, uh, Polly's not hearing it until he randomly decides to go to a wedding of his third cousin or whatnot. Yeah. And he goes there to engineer a situation in which he talks to Carmine, um, right. and goes up to Carmine and Carmine is like, who the fuck are you? And I, what does he say? Oh yeah. Your, your father was run over by a, a milk truck. Trolley. What, what? A trolley. Yeah. By a trolley. <laughs> just the idea where he's like oh the context i have for you is your father was killed by a trolley just like <laughs> the fucking uh, the beauty of adding that to the backstory of Polly. Yeah. Yeah. i just like expand the Polly universe please yeah you know he's been living that down for his whole life yes <laughs> like- yeah his like whole life his whole existence is like avoid trolleys it really at rem- all costs it reminds me of my great-grandfather who fell out of the tree while trying to watch a uh, a concert in golden gate park and uh did he die yeah that's how he died and uh, <laughs> sorry also yeah also like a great uncle that i had who was an electrician who like somehow electrocuted himself in a house that he was uh doing that makes on. more sense i yeah. could see that yeah but that's i feel a, like those a- could be polly's family members as well like hey aren't you the guy who's uh father fell out of the tree while he was trying to watch the concert yeah yeah oh yeah that's you <laughs> um so yeah he polly reacts to that knowing full well that his entire like vision of himself the way he has perceived himself um is based on a lie told by johnny sack um (laughs) i like that he literally looks in the mirror like (laughs) (laughs) who who am i (laughs) other other than a very handsome man who am i um and yeah starts playing from milan (laughs) yeah (laughs) turns out i was just a beautiful pair of fenders this whole time Um, and so uh, this immediately uh, leads to Polly's next scene in which he is breaking into uh, Minnie Matron's, uh, I guess, house yeah. that she lives in alone yeah. uh, and uh, checking under the mattress. And uh, I, I, have the, uh, I have that clip. What are you doing? Man, your door was open. I bought you something from my ma. What are you doing? Calling your mother. You got any coffee? You're here to rob me. No, no. What are you, crazy? Just calm down, okay? You're a disgrace to your mother. Don't set that thing off. You think I'm here to hurt you? You know me since I'm a kid. Help! What are you doing? Help! 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 Man, wait! Again, Sopranos ADR guy and Foley operator, just like unmatched. So many good things oh, about that scene. That scene um, is so fucking perfect. From 
the the fact that he stubs his toe on the way to go kill the old lady uh, mm-hmm. from the fact that he stops her from hitting her life alert button <laughs> yeah <laughs> to the line shut up with that fucking mouth uh, yes <laughs> great line and then just the look on her face after she's when he takes the pillow off and she's got like the, you never get a realistic face of a dead person uh yeah. in a show they're always they're always either like too peaceful or too horrified where like they really just made her like yeah her eyes are like kind of half open and she has a really dumb look on her face yeah. like that feels yeah. very accurate to what a corpse actually looks like i heard a funny trivia like a fun fact about this scene is that uh tony initially was supposed to strangle her, but he thought it made him look bad, and that's why they smothered her with a pillow. <laughs> I, I mean, like, that's better. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think he, he, I think he read the room right in that case yeah. because it, there's something about like, uh, in the moment he is trying to shut her up, yeah, uh, and kind of like, I don't know, there's something about like the also the the callback of smothering someone with a pillow, which was something right. that people claimed that Tony was trying to do with his mother. Yeah. 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 Just, uh, yeah. I don't know what it is about that. If it, I mean, it seems I don't like know. he'd be more, I mean, you'd have more plausible di- uh, deniability if you smothered someone with a pillow than if they had like fingerprint marks around their neck. Although sure. I don't know that smothering a person with a pillow is a thing that is possible in real life. It's a thing that happens in movies a lot. I don't know that that is. I feel like it's more possible if they're comatose or something. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. You know, when they're fighting back, it seems a little harder. Yeah. But I, know, like, uh, I mean, I've never, I've never tried it, no. but you know, I could see it working. I mean, um, you're but- still getting a little bit of. Maybe. <laughs> 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 yeah a baby for sure you're still getting like a little you bit of oxygen through that pillow like as opposed to you know when you cut off someone you're getting much well when you cut off someone's circulation like they go out they like that out. yeah but yeah w- with with air it takes way longer yeah no it definitely would have taken longer this is definitely one of those things where it was like uh you know, they they sped it sped up the death. Usually, The Sopranos is good with taking a while uh, to yeah. savor it, but it I think they were a little take bit like between like two to five minutes to actually smother someone with a pillow. I also just love the moment, like visually, with her slippers coming in when he was under the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the person you know, it's like oh fuck, like yeah, oh fuck, he's not, he's not leaving her alone to say anything. Like yeah, going down. It's like, Shit, they we're also, boned. They also made her so unlikable that you're kind of rooting for Polly to steal her money in that. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they did. A, they engineered the scene to really give Min this awesome ending, where uh, y- you know, you you kind of want her to die because she's just such a horrible person but, i mean you know she's just she's just such a she's the old lady that you've wanted to you always have fantasized about smothering with right. a pillow but you also you also respect her a little bit because like she's she clearly knows that this guy's gonna kill her but uh she refuses uh to yeah. play nice with him she's like yeah. no i'm no still filter. for her life she calls him like a bastard and yeah. yeah 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 you're a disappointment <laughs> to your mother and then like I also really love the pillows fully over the face and then the, oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's rare that I laugh at a scene where an old lady is killed, but... Oh, no, with the pillow over your face. Oh, no, with the pillow over the face. Like, I'm doomed! Like, that that is just... Oh, that is so funny. I think the funny thing about Polly is that he doesn't 
talk nicer if someone's an old lady or do you know what i mean he doesn't have any sense of politeness he he, he talks he talks softer but he yeah. still says mean things yeah it's, it's like yeah. the funniest thing is like like meeting meeting people on their level is just a, a question of what tone of voice he uses right, but right, he's right. always saying something horrible yeah. uh <laughs> it's uh oh it's so fucking funny you know uh yeah so uh then paulie goes over takes the money i assume not all of it but a big portion of the money that he's stolen from men uh and gives it to tony as a he way always to keep the little like he always keeps of course <laughs> he's definitely a, a guy who keeps the lion's share and doesn't report exactly how much income yeah. <laughs> like this dude is he has never been honest about any cut um unless he's been forced to be um and uh yeah so that's his way of getting back to the good graces with tony and then also you know when johnny sack calls and tony's like i gotta take this he's like what is that piece of shit <laughs> uh and then uh yeah and then we end on um on johnny sack being like i think we should do something uh really uh spectacular for the season finale and uh tony's like really and then it ends <laughs> um yeah I they love, said but i like yeah. the way he says holy shit like it's like yeah his reaction or something. yeah yeah no i mean it, it is definitely a twist in that i remember thinking to myself like oh, oh. um yeah. but but in retrospect knowing how things kind of like play out um you know you just kind of uh I mean, you get to see Johnny Sack go from the kind of like Tony's best friend from New York, you know, the guy who's always like kind of being fair to him into into the Johnny Sack of later Sopranos yeah, yeah. lore. And um, and it's great. But uh, those are, uh, you know, those are episodes for another day. Um, I think uh, in terms of uh, favorite, least favorite scene, if I had to think of a favorite scene, I would say it is uh it's mini matrone being smothered by a pillow. Um and uh least favorite scene, I don't know, probably uh the scenes where Tony goes up to Johnny Sack and is like this isn't what we agreed. Mm -hmm. And yeah. whenever they get too into the into the weeds with the like the mafia stuff, I I always find I'm like the least interested in that kind yeah. of thing. I, I like the I like the emotional journey that these characters take, um, but that's just me. I mean, you know, some people like mafia doing mafia stuff. Not me. Um, let's see, Vince. Do you have a favorite, least favorite? Yeah, I mean, I love Polly stubbing his toes in the middle of a murder, and uh, and and least favorite. I've already said it is the whole golf sequence at the beginning, which was just trying to do way too much and also poorly structured. Mm, mm hmm. Uh, Desi, do you have like a favorite scene? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go with the men death as well, just because I love comedy with Polly. Like, <laughs> yes. funny. I also just love the line where um, Carmela says, "Sunny Bono," like <laughs> about skiing. Yeah. I don't know why that made me laugh. Just because yeah. so like what? Like that's her one skiing reference. Like yeah. Uh, but least favorite scene. I mean, I'd have to go. I'll try to pick something different. Just the scenes with Furia where nothing happens. It yeah. ended up being kind of frustrating. Like there wasn't even like an age of innocence 
like yeah. of skin or something like yes. sort of escalated and i felt yeah. like that could have even worked if they just brushed against each other or something yeah um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. instead we're, we're constantly edging the whole time yeah, and there's and no release at the point of that being interesting probably. yeah yeah totally agree um uh, I would uh, just real quick say that I have a favorite. Um, it's not a favorite quote because there's so many good fucking quotes in this episode, but it's just a, a very f- funny moment that I love the Sopranos does where um, Vito says of, uh, I forget who, maybe it was, I forget it was Johnny or Sack or whatever, but Vito, Vito says he put on an, uh, an Emmy caliber performance. Oh, yeah. And... <laughs> I just love when the Sopranos shits on the accolades that they have received. Like, the, like later we're gonna meet uh, JT, who is like this uh, this TV writer who is in the program with Chris. Um, and uh, you just see the way they talk about people who write for TV or the awards that television people get. And there's so much derision there, and I fucking I love it so much because I picture David Chase behind the cameras of a TV show, not living his dream of being a movie guy. (laughs) (laughs) And, and just like, honestly treating the fans and treating the, the, the whole process the same way we do with podcasting, where we're just like time to feed the fucking piggies all their slop, you know, just, (laughs) I, I love that about David Chase. uh, Just, Always, always breaking the balls of other people who work in television. Uh, so, big shout out to that. Um, yeah, and uh, I think if I had to rate this episode um, with like a letter grade, probably, <clears throat> yeah, I would give it a solid B plus. Vince, what would you give this episode? I mean, tough one. A lot of good stuff. A couple bad scenes. Um, overall, I think like a really solid B plus. Yeah. Uh, Desi, if you had to rate this episode with a letter grade, uh, it could be any letter grade, obviously. Well, um, I'm take some points off for the golf scene, so mm. I'm gonna give it a B plus, I think. Mm. Okay, that's fair. That sounds like a fair grade for The Sopranos. Well thought out. Thank well you. thought out and uh, <laughs> totally fair. Uh, and it has been a uh, solid A plus episode of Pod Yourself a Gun. Desi, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Uh, Thank you for where, me. Yeah, where can people uh, find you on the internet? Just at Desi Jed and on Twitter, and then my podcast Hollywood Crime Scene. Uh, yeah, yeah. Check out Hollywood Crime Scene if you haven't already. Uh, it is a great podcast. Both of the hosts are excellent. You will love it. <laughs> um, patreoncom slash fraudcast for all of the bonus episodes in which we uh, talk about other things that aren't just the Sopranos. Um, and uh, the eight dollars tier is the Pod Yourself a Shoutout tier. And Vince, uh, I hope you got your uh, mafia name cap on. I do, I do, because because last week we did a uh, the mailbag episode. We didn't do the uh, Pod Yourself a Shoutout uh, patrons, so mm-hmm. we have two weeks worth. So are you ready? We've got a few names that you're going to have to give Mafia names to. Sure, sure, sure. All right. These are our $8 patrons, starting with Ryan Soper. Ryan Soper. Hey, the soup. We call him uh, We call him Chowder. Oh, all right. Ryan Chowder Soper. All right. Uh, next, we have Steve Batesell. I think it's Batizel. We're going to call him the Tease. Oh, Batizel. That makes more sense mm-hmm. than Batesell. The Tease. <laughs> 
Yeah. St- uh, Steve the Tease. He's a cock tease. Um, Kevin uh, Gibrecht. Giesbrecht? I don't know. I mean, sounds German, so we're going to call him the germ. All right. Kevin the germ. That's yeah. pretty good. Uh, Seth Wallace. Oh, Seth, uh, Seth Wallace. Uh, we call him, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we call him freedom. We call him, gonna do? call him stinky Seth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we call him the funk cause he's so stinky. All right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know even know how you got there, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we have Michael James Benson. Oh, bitch! The Michael James Benson, but Benson—that's a—that's a butler's name, isn't it? We're gonna call him—we're calling him Mikey the Butler. Mikey the Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, then David Soda. Soda, come on, that's not even a real name. Uh, I think it might be. Yeah, we'll call him. Uh, we'll call him Coke. Coke All can. Right, David. Co- the Coke can. Right. Coke can. All yeah, right. There we go. Sure. We call him uh, High Fructose Corns, David. <laughs> All right. Uh, two more left. We have Shell Shoe. I don't know if this is a real name. Shell Shoe? Oh, that's not a real name. Shoe. Well, shell? Yeah. The foot will be big foot. We call, him, uh, we call him Sasquatch. Sasquatch, Shell Shoe, and finally Chris Miller. Chris Miller. Isn't he the famous director? We're going to call this guy uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. <laughs> That's such a long name. We'll call, him, right. uh, we'll call him the meatball. We'll call him the meatball. Uh, Chris, Cloudy with a chance of meatballs, Miller, and uh, Ryan, Steve, uh, Kevin, Seth, Michael, David, and Shell. Thank you so much uh, for being the uh, $8 Pod Yourself a Shoutout patrons. And you can do it, too, if you're listening. And, uh, yeah, patreon.com slash frogcast, frogcast at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, concerns. Vince, what's the Google voice number? 415-275-0030. All right, everybody. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, don't stop believing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.